Welcome to Entrepreneur Decoded, the show which reveals the habits, fears, failures, and joys of today's most inspiring and successful entrepreneurs, with new episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Now, here's your host, Simon Sander. Let's get into the show. Today's featured guest is Ben Gately. Welcome, man. Hey, man. Hi, Jen. Ben is an entrepreneur from UK who co-founded the startup studio, The Eleven. He got started when he was just 16 years old, and his plan for the next 10 years is to found 100 new companies. His latest project, Charlie HR, is an HR platform for small businesses, and they have reached 3,500 teams around the world. Ben, tell us a bit more about yourself and fill in any blanks. Yeah, so I'm, I'm I guess, super lucky to have been running businesses with my best friend, uh, Rob. Um, for the last 11 years. Um, seems like a long time. And um, yeah, we've done a bunch of things in that time, you know, mainly agencies and, and, and marketing businesses. And where we find ourselves today is um, working on our latest business, Charlie HR, as you said, with a third co-founder, amazing um, product guy called uh, Tom Carrington-Smith. Um, and our, our vision, I guess our mission with that business is to create an operating system for, for small businesses. Um, we believe really passionately that um, there's a lot of time to be saved out there for entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs are spending most of their days doing admin that they could um, otherwise automate. And um, I guess Charlie is our first step into into trying to automate that and save entrepreneurs time so they can focus on the stuff that really matters. We'll come back to all those topics later, but right now I'm going to jump into our first question. If you could teach everyone in the audience just one thing, um, Ben, something that you feel has been the biggest contributor to successes so far, what would that be? For me, that's really easy, and that all comes down to people. Um, so I think what I would say is you mustn't underestimate um, how important having other great people in your business um, is. To me, it's the absolute crown and glory. It's the thing that is the difference between winning and losing. Um, it separates amazing businesses from from good and average businesses. Um, and for me personally, it's where I've invested a lot of a lot of my time over the last eleven years. But it's also where I've I've reaped the most reward genuinely so much of the success that we've seen in, in everything that we've done has come down to really really amazing hiring decisions and 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 sometimes taking a risk um but all the time believing in the people that you're hiring and giving them the opportunity to to grow and and to lead and to inspire and to be the best that they can be that is interesting. Uh, whenever I listened to interviews or read your articles online, you talked about the importance of hiring and the uh, importance of culture. So, Ben, you've been in business um, now 11 years. What have been some of the most important lessons when it comes to working with people, teams, and hiring uh, talent? So, I think I think the first one for me is that you actually have to care. Um, you, you've got to care and you've got to believe that it's important to have great people in your business in order to hire them, right? It's got to feel like a big decision. Um, you've got to care because caring is what is required to support people and to look after them and to help them achieve great things. Um, and I'd say from a cultural perspective, 
I think an element of transparency, as much transparency as you can as you can create, is really really important. We try to, where we can, create a culture that is honest and open. Um, and one of the ways that we do that is we focus around feedback. So we um, we believe it's really really important to um, give each other feedback, candid feedback, on a regular basis. And um, that sets the tone, and it and it sets the tone where we're all helping each other improve on what we're doing on a day-to-day basis um, and that not only has personal value it also has a value 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 to the business tangible business value just last night i read a really interesting study on gallup.com you can check it out there right now gallup.com employee engagement in us i think it was called and it pretty much said that 32 percent of the employees are disengaged at work uh, ben so is that something you your company struggles with finding good workers and you feel that people who show up at the work are disengaged? I don't think it's necessary they they're disengaged. I think I think you can it's easy to separate the corporate and the startup world. Okay? It's easy to sell the dream of working in a startup. But actually the reality is not always what you believe it's going to be. I think that there are as many uh bad corporates to work for as there are startups to work for i don't think that just because a company is a startup or it's a small business that it's immediately going to be a better place to work yes there are some things that are um i guess drilled into startup mentality and startup ethos that support some of the practices of creating a better place to work which is what i believe engages people but i don't think you can um I don't think you can say that all corporates are bad places to work and all and all and all startups are bad places to work. When it comes to engagement, I think it's all about challenge. I think that people are engaged if they're challenged and if you create a challenge for them. And I think one of the things that I talk about a lot is making sure that you have an avenue on a regular basis with everyone that you're working with to give them opportunity to bring those needs and desires forwards. So that you can build in challenges to their role, build in development to their role, build in progression to their role. All of that kind of work is so, so important because, you know, I'm not surprised by the num- those numbers. If people don't feel like they're being challenged on a day to day basis, they are 100% not going to be engaged. So let's say there's a company uh, owner in the audience right now and they're thinking about hiring talent. Uh, they haven't had luck uh, so far. What's your process uh, when it comes to hiring really smart and talented people who are engaged and uh, hopefully as passionate as the company owner? So it, it, it's not an easy thing. I think, I think the first thing about my process is to put in the time. Um, so I interview every week, Tuesdays and Thursdays for like, three hours so i invest a lot of time into it and i'm also interviewing people even when we're not hiring for roles so i know people talk about um always be closing when it when abc um when it comes to sales i talk about always be hiring or at least that's a joke that uh, one of my recruiter friends throws at me every every now and then but i think there's some truth in it right which is that i don't think hiring is something that we should pick up and put back down i think that when it becomes an activity that we start and stop that's when we make bad judgment calls hiring is all about context it's all about understanding the context of candidates that are out there what does a good candidate look like what does a great candidate look like what does a poor candidate look like and the more interviews you do the more conversations you have the more likely you are 
um, to be able to create that context. And ultimately, it's that context that helps you make that final decision. So um, for me, the process is it's a continual one and you should be doing it the whole time. Um, and then very simply, it's, it's three stages. It's always a phone screen. And I do that myself. It's always a face-to-face interview. And then it's a, it's a team interview and a task. So make sure that every, a few people from the business that you trust are involved in that process and, and, and get to meet them and get to in, interview the candidate, but also make sure that you set them a task. And that should be something role-specific, something that tests them, something that makes them think outside the box. Um, I think three stages is, is enough. Um, and then I guess the final thing I'd say on that is be open and transparent with your candidates. I've heard too many times, I've seen too many times company owners overselling roles, saying that a role is one thing when it's actually another thing, or telling a candidate that we're going to make this hire within the next week, and then three months later they hear from them. So where possible, try and be as transparent as you can as to what your timeframes actually are. Are you moving quickly on this? Are you moving slowly? And be real with them. What does the day-to-day actually look like? I'm sure you know, but Buffer.com, the really famous social media management tool, uh, they don't have a physical office anymore and all of their workers are scattered around the world. Uh, do you think that's that's a smart thing to do? What are some pros and cons, Ben? So look, I'm, I'm incredibly inspired by companies like Buffer and, I, and look, I wish I was brave, as brave as, as those guys. Um, I think it's, I think for me, an office is the home of your business, right? Um it's the place where people should feel safe. They should feel connected. They should feel supported and looked after. And I believe that you've got a better opportunity to do that if you've got people in one room. It doesn't mean that you can't do it remotely. And, you know, Buffer, a great example of a company that's done it incredibly successfully. And there are, there are, there are many other companies that are, that are, you know, the same as them and have, and have been equally as successful. But for me, my belief is that you've got a greater opportunity to create that bond and create that that environment if you have everyone in the same room. Um, and look, I don't have the context of being able to say what it's like to work with a remote team. So I guess I can only talk talk for what I know. So Ben, people love to hear numbers. Uh, what are some numbers you can share with the audience uh, when it comes to Charlie, HR, revenues, uh, costs, stuff like that? So, so the ones I guess I can share are we're over now – five and a half thousand companies have signed up to use us. Um, so the, the figures on the website are a little bit out of date at the moment. So we need to get those updated. Um, we, uh, um, as a, as a business have raised, um, our seed round, um, which we announced in January, which was, um, about a million dollars, uh, there or thereabouts. We had some great investors connect who are an amazing partner, um, for us and, and seed camp. Um, we are yet to launch our paid product. So that's coming out in February um, in, a, in a kind of beta phase and launches, I guess, to the public in April. So we're yet um, to have any MRR. Um, but I look forward to sharing those numbers when it starts to trickle in. So 5,500 teams. Uh, ben, tell me what has been the most effective growth strategy over the years uh, you've used? So I think growth is a really difficult one and everyone struggles with it and everyone kind of looks at it in a different way and, and we have all these crazy titles like growth hacker and 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 content marketer and, and all that kind of stuff and you know yes they're all very very important i think the one strategy that's been really really key to our growth is 
driving word of mouth. And I believe that we've done that through two very particular ways. One of those is brilliant product that's easy to use. I think that's that's so paramount. And I can't stress the importance of brilliant and easy to use product. Consumers expect great product. It's what they use on their phone. It's what they use on their computer, in their, in their personal lives. They expect it at work as well. And we try to set a standard with Charlie when it comes to that. And the second one is with just great customer experience. Customer experience doesn't need to be overcomplicated. We don't need to treat our customers like anyone else. We need to treat them like we would treat our friends. And, and so what we try to do is we try to be human in how we communicate with them and how we work with them. You'll notice that Charlie is called Charlie, which is a gender neutral name. And that's really, really important to us. Um, but it's the name of a person, right? It's the name of a friend or a family member, and it should feel like that. And so in all of our communications as a brand, that's how we're trying to behave. We're trying to behave as, as a person you know, as a person you feel comfortable with. And I think that those two things for us currently are the things that have driven the most growth, which is recommendation and word of mouth. Those are really good strategies when you have uh, companies already running. But tell me, how did you reach 101st clients? So there are people in the audience who have businesses, and it's really hard in the beginning to uh, rely on these strategies. Yeah, you're right. So um, I think one of the one of the great things, one of the one of the beautiful things about um, uh, I guess about anything that is that is online, that's cloud, that is a you know, a digital product is that you, there are no barriers to who can use it in effect, right? Or there are less barriers. Um, and so for me, it's about going, okay, um, let's do some prospecting. Let's get on LinkedIn. Let's, uh, let's run some searches. Let's find some, some profiles that we think where we think there'll be a match, where we think this person would be interested and let's just be human about it. Just reach out and go, Hey, we've got this product. We love to, we love for you to give it a go. Um, you know, let us know what you think. Don't go in for the sell. Don't go in for the, you need to pay me money. You need to give me money. You need to give us this. Give them something, which is, you know, we want to give you a free trial or we want to give you, you know, early access or whatever. Make them feel special. Um, and we're lucky that we live in an age where we can do that, where we can go on Twitter, we can go on LinkedIn, we can go on Instagram, we can prospect potential customers that are out there for us and we can just reach out to them. And so, I think when it comes to that, how do I get my first hundred customers? Like, yes, it it requires some time and it requires some hustle, but I don't think there's an excuse for it. So let's say it's a paid product or a paid service. Uh, you guys offer social media services under uh, Porn Social, and it costs eight hundred dollars or I don't know what it is, thousand dollars a month. Uh, how would you go about uh, getting that client? You would actually reach out to a person in LinkedIn, offer uh, offer value first, and then. Uh, to go for the sale a few weeks later or let's let's get those steps down yeah so um yeah so i think try where you can to to you know especially in the early days is to is to give something that they want and that might be a reduction in the cost of your service or your product it might be something for free it might be some of your time it might be content right so a lot of people are using like white papers and research studies to um as a tool but I think you've got you you you've got to put um you've got to put put the power in their hands. You've got to make them feel special. And I think especially for those first hundred, my recommendation is not um not to be sales in your approach, but to be really personable. And I think it's about if it means you have to handcraft a message for two hundred contacts, I think that's a good use of time. 
because those first 100 customers are going to be the ones that, that take you on that journey and that build that brand and that build that business. So you've got to get that right. I want to take a bit of a different route now, and I want you to look back on your journey as an entrepreneur. You know that the life of an entrepreneur is often like a roller coaster, ups and downs, ups and downs, and you never know when it's the, when next up is coming and when it's going to go down. But if you could share the story with an audience where you faced a major hardship or challenge, let's call it the worst entrepreneurial moment. So I think for me, there are, I guess there are there are many, right? And it's it's a it's a it's a weekly journey of, of a roller coaster of emotions of up and down. I think some of the hardest moments have been have been you know difficult moments with people. So that might be someone leaving the business, um, which is you know, and they're and they're leaving and it's a surprise. That's always very difficult to deal with. Um, or it might be uh, you know a difficult situation that's arisen with someone, and and unfortunately you you need to find a way to exit them from the business. You know, I think those are difficult and I especially find those hard because I do care and I, and I, and I do want to support people and, 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 and help them to be better as much as I can. So, so I guess those moments stand out for me. Do you have a specific story uh, which really stands out to you? Uh, I would really appreciate if you shared that with the audience. Sure. So I guess, um, I guess I can share the story of our first ever in, in one of our first ever employees. Um, he was actually, I think, employee employee number one, and um, I'm sure if you went back and asked him, he would, he would, I guess, uh, uh, understand this or admit to this. But it basically became um, very obvious that the role that we needed him to do wasn't a role that a he wanted to do or or b he was he was fit to do, and um, uh, that led us to, I guess, having to have a sit down with him and. And, you know, to basically explain that and to walk him through that the unfortunate scenario was that there wasn't a role there for him. And um, I think I personally found that very hard. He was the first person Rob and I had ever hired all those years ago. Um, you know, I had been to his house, I'd been to his birthdays, you know, um, we got on really, really, really well. And, you know, understandably, you know, he was he was upset. And I think emotion for me is always is always hard is always hard to deal with um uh you know that was six seven years ago i guess um and 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 it doesn't mean we haven't had ones since um but i do think that those scenarios get maybe slightly easier over time because you realize that often the decision that you're making is right for the person as well as the business uh, you know, we're not the type of people to get rid of people or fire people willy-nilly. That's not what we do. Um, and so because of that, if we're having this kind of conversation with someone, that's because we're addressing a real issue or a real challenge. And, you know, if the role is not right for the business or the individual is not right for the business, the reality is also the reverse is true. That role is not right for that person. This business is not right for that individual. And so while it's not going to work on our side, it's also not going to work on their side. No one's going to end up happy. Um, uh, and so you, you realize that over time. And so as you see people go on after these situations and accomplish great things, you realize that actually it was the right call and it was the right thing to do. And, and, and you know, I guess that allows me to go into these situations now and in the future with a little bit more confidence. 
So essentially, uh, the person was your friend and you had to uh, let them go. I assume that was the hardest uh, firing decision you had to make. Uh, did it get easier in the future when you've had to let go of the people? Yeah, it definitely does get easier. I think that was the first experience that Rob and I had ever had of that kind of situation. Um, and back then it was literally just the two, three of us. So, um, you know, we're talking very early days here. Um, has it got easier? It's always hard, but I improve in my ability to prepare for those situations and to ensure that also we don't get to those situations. I guess that's one of the things that I would, I put out there is that I'm now very conscious of that, which is that if I see someone struggling in a role, I talk to them about it. If I see a problem, I bring it up because I don't want to get to that place. I don't want that to happen. That's not what we're, um, that's not a place we're trying to get to. Um, so trying to be really proactive. Like, and one of the ways that we do that is we have like a monthly catch up with um, all of the team leads and all the team members across all the businesses. Um, and they all have a one-on-one -on -one conversation and, and we call that a monthly. And in that time, that's, a, that's an opportunity for either party to bring up anything that they want to bring up mostly directed by the team member you know what are their concerns what are their issues what are their worries um creating that dialogue creating that safe space that place where it's appropriate to do that and to really share um to me has been one of the most fundamentally important things about building the culture we've, we've got today um because it's created some really close and special relationships and i think when you have those relationships it allows you to avoid those detrimental situations that you don't really want to find yourself in. Ben, um, I'm going to come to present day now. Uh, how does your daily life look right now? Um, so that's a good question. So I get up in the morning, um, nice and early, um, like head to the gym or, or yoga or whatever, um, do my training. Um, and then I normally have about two hours out of the office to run through a bunch of tasks. They're normally like, fairly chunky things that I've got on my to-do list. So like I break those down into four 30 minute slots. Um, then I'm into the office at 10 o'clock where I have a team stand up and then I have team internal meetings for, um, that first two hours up until 12 from 12 to one. I do an hour of emails from one to two. I have lunch and I'm trying to make an effort to actually take lunch at the moment and might be going out and having lunch with someone um, or it might just be sitting down and reading an article and eating my lunch, um, but actually trying to take that time to do that. And then typically from uh, from two till five, I'm in in external meetings, and that's typically interviews, which are broken into either 15-minute calls or 30-minute face-to-faces. And then I'm doing emails from five till six, and then I'm done. And I'm trying to make an effort to finish at six and, and get out of the office and make sure that I, I enjoy my evenings. It seems like you have a lot of behaviors which uh, could be uh, done every day, day after day. If you had to pick one habit, Ben, uh, something that you pursue day in, day out, something that really contributes to your success, what would that be? So I think the thing for me has been in, in actually properly blocking out my time. So invariably on a day, every every minute is accounted for in some way. Now that might be an, an hour blocked out in my diary to do emails, but the entire day should be full. And I guess the reason why that's important for me, a number of things, what would typically happen is I'd have a day, there'd be lots of meetings in it, I'd be running around, and I get to the end of the day and have loads of emails and loads of things that I've not done. 
So now what I do within my diary is I make space for eight emails, so two hours a day to do emails, but also tasks. So if I need to do something specific, I block that out in my diary as a half an hour slot. I label it as a task to get it done. Um, what, what it's so easy to do, I guess, as a, um, uh, as, as someone that's within a business is to have loads of meetings and then work out how you're going to get your actual work done. So for me, it's like, make sure there's space to get my work done and then have the meetings. And I think it's that order that's important. Um, you know, you, 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 it's, it's that analogy of a, you know, a glass jar and you fill it up with pebbles. You put the big pebbles at the bottom and then you put the smaller pebbles and then you fill it up with sand and it, 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 um, it uses up all of the space. So it's about being really efficient with your time and jigsawing it all together. Ben, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Before we wrap up and say goodbye, I want to ask you about happiness. What brings you joy and makes you happy? This week I had four really, really great interviews with four great people who I'd love to work with, I'd love to build a business with, I'd, I'd love to bring on and, 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 and have them as part of the Charlie HR team. That's one of the things that brings me the, the, the best happiness is, is, is giving people opportunities and, and, and meeting great people and seeing great people flourish and do great things. The, see that happiness in, in, in others um, brings, brings a lot of personal happiness to me. Ben, if you could leave the audience with just one takeaway, what would that be? It's, I guess, a reminder that you're only as good as the people around you. And, and for that to happen, you need to leave your ego at the door and you need to fo focus on the desires and needs of others because your priority should be to make them great. Because if you do that, you'll end up you know, achieving what you want to achieve um, in the process. Ben, thank you so much for coming on. Cheers, Simon. Have a great evening. Thank you for listening to Entrepreneur Decoded. For killer resources and free content, go to entrepreneurdecoded.com.